this movie's, um, I don't know, I'm actually kind of excited by it, not because of anything about it, it's a terrible movie, it fucking sucks so bad, but it's just the culmination, it's, it's honestly seems to me like a bit of a nadir in terms of, like, uh, in terms of studios having learned all the wrong things from the success of the Marvel Universe, because that is very, very obviously what they're trying to have happen here, and they just went about it in the most forced, inorganic way possible that it fucking blew up in their faces, and it's honestly, like, that part of it is compelling. Anything that happens in the movie, for the most part, is not at all. Another really, really frustrating example of, like, places where studios have have learned this has been, like, the Moonlight Cinematic Universe. Um, They, you know, Barry Jenkins Jenkins started it in such a strong place with the first one. And now that they have, like, a whole whole world of of movies set on the beach where where teenagers are jacking each other (laughs) off, it's like, you, you can't audiences don't care about continuity they care about story and and so i you know i don't know i do think mahershala ali as sort of like the nick fury of the entire thing that like they have him come back as a ghost like i do think that's interesting like they're gonna come up with more things for him to do um but i'm i'm just so sick of hearing nicholas Bertel's moonlight theme done in epic versions in a new trailer like every year you know (laughs) I don't know. It's it's just astonishing. I I cannot get over the 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 hubris of it all, and the hubris like radiates as much as the emptiness from this movie. It's really quite something. I went into this with so much. I don't. I guess not negativity because I I went into the third one with that much negativity. But I expected so little from this. I watched it the first thing when I woke up today (laughs) and for some reason like a lot about it I separated it from the franchise completely in my mind otherwise I wouldn't survive watching it and I there were some parts of it that I thought were like a little bit fun but overall there is who who is the main character like there is no I don't give a fuck about him (laughs) like (laughs) I don't give a fuck about him and they found a way to just like I mean, Imhotep, at least, like, he did all of this for love, right? Like, that is a that is a story of a villain who was, like, wronged from his point of view, and then he comes back to, like, fuck everyone over to be with his baby forever. This, they were just like, this woman of color is a power-hungry bitch. Like, that's, like, what they, like, did. Yeah. And like- I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? She's just... She's just fucking evil, nothing else. They they just hate to see a girl boss winning. Yeah, I guess. It really is like a little bit of like... Dixon, you mentioned the girl boss thing. I mean, there are, there are things that like ought to be admirable about this. I mean, I, I don't want to get too ahead of us on like the process of how the, the dark universe um, almost came to be and what they were trying to do. Um, Jenny Lou May, um, who wrote Rachel getting married and then not a lot after that was in the sprawling writer's room for Universal's Dark Universe and I guess it was her idea to do like uh like a gender flipped thing and and have the the villain of this thing be this like this lost in time princess 
who was erased from the history books, but like could have been cool. I I guess it could have, but the um so her her motivation, correct me if I'm wrong, is that she was in line to be I guess pharaoh and then her father had a baby boy. Um she was booted out of the line of succession and she did what anyone would do, which is she <laughs> immediately consorted with the dark arts um and killed um, her family, including the baby, with a knife. Um, and there are these moments where they want to gesture towards her being uh, sympathetic. But they cut to that knifing the baby footage a lot. <laughs> they flash back to that baby stabbing shit a little too much to pull the, wow, she's just she's just trapped in a system. <laughs> you know, she's a villain with a point. You know, like she just just like Thanos in in Infinity War, you know, really well fleshed out uh, point of view that you can understand and be like, you know, this movie that's being advertised to me on uh, on diapers and bedsheets is is actually kind of it's actually kind of sophisticated. It's actually kind of like morally complex when you think about it. Okay, I want to run through the plot real quick and then I have a question I want to ask you both. I, I don't know. It, it, it sums up like a good portion of the issues with this film. Um, okay. So d- they hate to see a girl boss winning. We, th- we covered that aspect of it. Um, so later on, uh, this red gem gets found by Russell Crowe as Dr. Henry fucking Jekyll. <laughs> he finds it and he's leading the, what is it? The, Pusillanimous. What the fuck is the name of their organization? Oh, it's not real. It doesn't the matter. Prodigum. Prodigium. 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 I almost Prodigium. said proscenium. Yeah, fucking. That's cool. Uh, I wonder how. I wonder what else was crossed out on the whiteboard that day. <laughs> Settled on fucking prodigium. Anyway, um, meet our two wacky war profiteers, uh, Jake Johnson, uh, who gets bit by a spider and dies. And uh, Tom Cruise, who gets his friend bitten by a spider and dies because he's doing like wacky bits with um, uh, uh, this uh, with um, fucking uh, Princess Amonet's uh, sarcophagus. Uh, Just got to, you know, be be fun and reckless with that. And then so I'm sorry. It's just like trying to figure out anybody's motivations or like. The sequence of events here is wild. So Tom Cruise has been chosen as the vessel of death for Set, who Princess Amonet was trying to resurrect. So who is the the god of of death, right? Yes, yes, I believe so. Then Tom Cruise is like, ah, geez. Um, the Prodigium finds him and his uh, good friend. Looking at the Wikipedia article. Chris. God, when am I going to say her name? Oh, uh, not, not Chris. Chris. Chris died from Spider. Jenny. 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 Jenny yes, is her okay. character's name, yeah. Jenny is her character's name. Um, yep. It, <gasps> it's, it's good that I need to look at a whole separate monitor to figure that out. That's <laughs> We're doing well. Um, so they get um, caught or brought to the Prodigium, and uh, Dr. Henry Jekyll, as played by Russell Crowe, is like, okay, we need to let this happen we need to let set possess you so that we can kill you and kill set and tom cruise doesn't want that to happen so you know there's another series of events and then in the final bit of the film i think that tom cruise 
gets partially possessed by Set, but he's able to, like, tamp it down enough to kill Princess Amonet, bring Chris back to life, and go boot And Jenny, too. On, and Jenny, too, yes. And, and, and go boot scooting on another adventure. Yeah, I, I really struggled there in the middle, but I brought it home. Okay, um, here's my question. Um, what does the dagger do? <laughs> it is so important, right? The dagger. You can't you can't bring Set back without that that dagger and that pesky stone. <laughs> yeah, it's th- this the the big MacGuffin of the whole movie is a dagger that also needs a stone attached to it in order to turn him into Set. Turn him into Set. Yeah. But if we shatter the stone, can't that- turn him into Set. He just die. He just dies. Okay, but what? But if it's destroyed after he's already set, it like kind of works, because he's like not fully set by the end, right? No, I think he is. He just like because I think the lore was that like whoever she chooses ha- has also chosen her, so they're like devoid of morality, which is the whole point of the movie. Is that this main character Nick who stole a map? He's got no moral compass. What a fuck it. He should burn in hell. I don't understand. I don't. Un- Sorry, I'll get into that later. But he should burn in hell. Like you were. He should you were burn in hell. <laughs> yes. Yes. What was your question, Dixon? What What does the dagger do? So, like, if you stab someone with it, they become set. Yeah. Well, if she does it under this particular spell, yeah, I think then they become set. Yeah. Got it. I thought it was also like involved in killing her in some way. I don't know. This this is things just happen in this movie. Not clear. It just like things just wash over you in this film. And it's not clear why or how. Maybe they laid some groundwork. Maybe they didn't. Um, crusader mummies show up at one point that uh, Princess Amonet raises from the dead. And I think they alluded to that at some point. I don't know, but they're there. Yeah, in the beginning, it opens on like like 1126 AD England. They bury, one of the crusaders is buried with the stone. And then there's a bunch of people talking about like all of London. I only remember this because I watched it mere hours ago, by the way. I was um, I was about to say like, I'm so glad somebody watched this movie today so that the whole podcast <laughs> wasn't just going, I Think? Think. <laughs> um, and then and I actually don't mind the way it opened up. It opened up on the Crusaders and then it opened up on people talking about how like all of London is essentially like a graveyard like built on like a bunch of like, you know, all Crusaders, like dead Crusaders. And um, I, I didn't mind that. I thought that could be cool, you know, to include like ancient England, <laughs> but um, it wasn't really utilized in any way that was interesting at all. I, I think my biggest issue with this is like what, what I was saying before is that the mummy, the mummy and the mummy returns is campy. It's silly. It has completely fictional lore that is also fun and silly, but it is centered around people with actual goals, with a real personality that's fleshed out and like undying love for one another. This has none of that i'm talking zero like i like tom cruise i i can't tell if he's trying to be funny in this like it, it's almost like he's trying to be a little bit quippy and silly in this mm-hmm. but he but not but that doesn't happen and they i sure hear about what what how he lacks morals but like rick o'connell 
was a scoundrel. That's why we loved him. He stole things and, like, and, like, kissed women, you know, out of the blue. Like, he was, he was a scoundrel and our hero, but for some reason in this movie, the question that it asks is, like, can you be a scoundrel and a hero? And it's like, yeah, in the last two movies, there's a whole fucking point. And, uh, yeah, so Nick, Nick, our lead, just had, just give us nothing, King, honestly. I feel like the, the conversation of, uh, Nick Morton versus Rick O'Connell is something that's really interesting to me. Call, call this guy Prick O'Connell. Like, I don't think of, of The Mummy as a horror movie, and I don't think it thinks of itself that way. It's an adventure monster movie, and one of the things that breaks that mold is that it is barely about its villains. It is all about a ride that you go on with these protagonists. And so it doesn't need to be a deal breaker that Mummy 2017 is, like, all about this guy. But it's it's a couple things that break it. Because, like, like you, Becky, I dur- the beginning did not lose me. It was only until we got to present-day Iraq um, and we, we meet... U.S. Army Sergeant Nick Morton, um, that I, I started to realize that something was horribly wrong. I think it's that, like, I I don't... We'll, we'll get to, like, the Tom Cruise stuff, but they are working so hard to make him this, like, alpha, respectable, cool, tough, head-above-water, like, alpha guy, and they make him so alpha that it's they they want to have it both ways with him being like this like Tom Cruise action protagonist and also the like victim protag of like a horror story because this wants to be more of a horror thing than the original mummy does and i think Absolutely. that's like on paper like that's that's commendable but like Rick O'Connell has a lot more we've we've talked about the whole Brendan thing that he is so wonderfully low status and he he's so wonderfully like easily undermined um but in in that in that one scene where what is what is his name courtney b vance plays the superior officer colonel greenway who just feels like a police chief in like an 80s movie um, and he, like a lot of people in this movie, will like face away from the camera or away from the characters and towards the camera as he like spits out exposition to make it feel important. When they just list off like his caddishness, but his adventurousness all at once, and I guess it's it's supposed to like win our our respect or something. Um, I I don't know. I don't think you can hang a movie on this guy. I think he needed to be more vulnerable or more low status i keep thinking about the version of this movie where dev patel is nick someone who's younger someone who's pluckier someone who is up against more more shit why did he have to be this like alpha fast running like like 50 something i don't know well i think a huge part of that and a huge part of this movie's imbalance in general because I think originally uh, the script, I believe, was much more about Princess Aminette. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Tom Cruise, when he came on board, he got his guys on board too. 
like yes. to do extensive rewrites and he wrote uh, Nick in a bunch more reduced the mummy a bunch more and apparently he had final say on a whole whole heap of the decisions that were made in this movie mm-hmm. so it makes sense then that of course he we would be like trying to be about how cool and fuckable this guy is um and also he can jump real high and fast and the th- like Tom Cruise I detest the man I think he can be <laughs> a good actor when he's playing a complete scumbag, see Magnolia, for example, or um, a, a complete cipher, just a, an absence that is that events are just happening to. Yep. And I don't mean that backhandedly. A blank, he's a great blank slate. Yeah, and that takes skill. I'm not, I don't mean that in a shitty Live way. Live today, like, tomorrow, die after. What's that movie called? Live, Did- die, repeat? Yeah, that one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> He's good in that. <laughs> so he tries to make himself both in this movie. Yes. And it doesn't work. Like, it, 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 he feels, like, caught between these two strange worlds. And also, it's just one of the many, many, many things about this movie that seems compromised into oblivion because you have a megalomaniac star like Tom Cruise <laughs> driving this bus, but you also have a studio who is trying to create the next billion-dollar franchise um, meddling in everything. And so the result is this incredibly, incredibly sanitized thing that has, like, a- occasional very occasional flashes of personality but for the most part is just like purell hand sanitizer the movie i also just feel like the writing like he just needed to be a worse person for the whole crux of this film to ride on of Absolutely. like you're like you saved your life like there's a good man in you there it's like he seems fine he doesn't seem that bad like he <laughs> loved his friend like who yeah. died way too early. That was so silly, man. Uh, Jake Johnson, um, one of the few sparks of life this movie has. Really? I I don't know. I th- he's trying. I liked him I, in it. I did. I, I don't... I don't think the quip banter is good, and I think he falls victim to just, like, what screenwriters think are jokes now. God, that's so old man of uh, yells at cloud of me. But, like, you know what I mean. I do. I know exactly of being what like. Mean. This is this is not exactly like the last time. Like mm-hmm. just yelling that while they're getting shot at. But at least he's something. Like he is decisively colorful and himself. And honestly, it's Tom Cruise's fault. Like that could have been something. And Tom just like he he just like throws him a, a pass and he just like lets it swing by. Yeah, because like at least Jake Johnson is an archetype. Yes. Like exactly. The, the, other like uh, Tom Cruise, like he doesn't have like a, a a personality we can fill in the gaps with, like we can with Jake Johnson, a- and and the same with um Jenny Jenny. Jenny. Who is yeah. she? What's her I, deal? But okay, before I go too deep on the shit that really bothers me, um, I should talk about those few sparks of life that I found at the very least. Um, I Sophia Batella, I think. Does yeah. acquits herself as well as she can with the stuff she's handed, Agreed. which is not much, but I think she does a great job. Agreed. Uh, her her physicality um, in early scenes when she is like a much more you know disintegrated mummy is like really alarming, and a lot of it was her, which makes sense given her background as a dancer and uh, I believe rhythmic gymnast, and uh, like she really commits and and makes this character like 
the movie does a bad job of making her sympathetic, but her performance agreed. Um, yes, like it, it makes it clear, like oh, okay, like there's there's some real hurt and want in here. Um, which takes a lot given the material that she was handed. I think she's a fucking movie star, man. Like, yeah, I, agreed. I really want to go see her other stuff. I know she's got a big juicy role in Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, I I found myself really, really liking... I mean, I I opened this episode with, with shitting on like the writing of the character um, and that... That dopey fucking line at the end where she tries to explain the baby killing by saying... They were different times. Um, <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's like some like famous director like giving their explanation for like like a like a publicly known hate crime that they did like 15 years ago, where they're like, the, it was it was different times. It was like a different culture, and like if the liberals could just chill out. Um, for everything that I've I've complained about with like the writing of that character, I loved Aminat and her her look and her her presence. Terrifying. I even liked all the monster movie stuff that's in this movie. I hate all the the other stuff and like the human stuff. Um, I can't do enough air quotes on the word human, so I won't try. But I there were there were these moments where I was like, there might have been a movie here, and Alex Kurtzman might have been equipped to direct it i don't know agree well here here's what i think about the film in general in terms of genre this movie is like i can't even i honestly can't even put the mummy in the equation of what like the original mummy in this equation Mm -hmm. this is like constantine meets the grudge it's whoa it's like a world of monsters that like you lift a rock and you're like oh shit like i didn't know that was there but way less interesting i was waiting for her full regeneration the way that it happens in the mummy but they really just wanted to like scare us with like a horror angle it just was it wasn't that scary i don't know it just didn't it didn't come it didn't happen for me but i i think her performance was incredibly committed really good She's gorgeous. Um, mm-hmm. Totally bought her. It's a shame that they didn't give her any kind of, you know, reason for wanting what she wants. Like, I really hate. She found a way to make that three-dimensional and to almost imprint her dreams and goals onto this guy who hurts her in the end. So, like, there, there's a little bit of sympathetic energy that happens there. Um, but yeah, I, I thought she was great, but I, I just feel like this movie is so confused as to what it is and it just doesn't work. Like if you wanted to do a super creepy mummy, it could have been even creepier. Like it was, it was, it was scary, but, but then if it's the mummy franchise, then our lead has to be funny and he's just not. So it's, so then it's like a bad horror film because he doesn't make it an adventure film by being charismatic at all. Another question I have, does Tom Cruise know how alcohol works? I don't think he's allowed to have any. There's no, because he's like pushing 60 and he's still ripped as hell. And that means uh, from like, you know, everything I've read, that means that you like have to be on the strictest diet possible. Like, obviously I disagree with this this whole notion. So he, I don't think he understands alcohol because there are scenes of him like 
just doing like shots with the speed of like um, a, a panda bear bringing bamboo <laughs> to their mouth. Like just bam, bam. And then he takes a big swig of his lager. He puts that down. He does two more shots. And it's not being played for laughs. It's not like, geez, look at this guy. It's just like. I think it's how he thinks. Yeah. Just like, a, like the Dover boys at Pimento University. He's just like slamming like the shot glass back and forth. <laughs> they drive me yeah, to Exactly, drink. exactly. The the thing they're always pushing with, with this guy, it feels like, is both um, he's the most alpha motherfucker you've ever met, but also he's a normal, relatable guy. He's just like you and me. Um, and he... He, he never feels like that. I mean, I know a lot of people who are, like, big, big, big fans of uh, specifically, like, the more recent Mission Impossible movies. And, can, and they can talk to, like, the ways that those movies utilize him and his undying drive to entertain you and be an action star. Um, and, and those people, I, I, it seems like... They are less distracted than I am by the time that he spent being the figurehead of a child slavery cult. Um, and look, I, I don't know how involved he still is with them. And, and I, don't, I don't know how knowledgeable he was of the uh, like, like pretty systematized like abuse of, of that, that weird kooky church I love so much. Um, but... At least those movies are are utilizing him as this hyper-driven guy who just, like, lives to be doing this line of work. Um, and I I just... It's, it's so weird to put him in the center of this thing where you have to... You have to be able to worry about him. And I can't. Because I think he's, he's spent the last two decades pretty much cementing himself as, as a, like... As a movie star who is, like, the most phys- physically capable person in the world. Like, that's his brand. Like, he is untouchable. He can hold his breath for a million years. He can um, break his ankle and keep running during a take, you know? And then, yeah, like, trying to be like, uh-oh, is he gonna, is he gonna overcome Set in his inner battle? Uh-oh, what's going to happen to yeah, Nick exactly. Morton? We don't even know who Set is up against. You know, like, who mm-hmm. is Nick yeah. Morton? Like, it's just not... They they tell us over and over what he is, but we see no examples of, like, who he is. Yeah, and, and what's Set going to do? He controls the living and the dead, and, like, Maybe he'll do something about it, but maybe he'll just get a nine to five and just sort of kick back. Like, I guess it's up to who it is. Oh, um, so there is another little spark of life that I wanted to talk about. I, I really like Russell Crowe in this movie. I don't know what exactly he's doing, but it's something. I think the choices about his character on the filmmaker's part are laughable. My goodness. But he's giving it this kind of like, um... Uh, this like kind of like distanced uh scientist perspective who's trying to like be above it all and he seems like kind of at odds with you know the rest of humanity in terms of like social mores and how to speak to people and it's it's interesting and like funny and i'll i'll fucking take anything you know i'm so i'm so desperate 
for the meal to come that I've eaten all of the bread. I love his energy in this. I love his line delivery. He's totally in every second of it. Like, he's, like, present. Um, I'm not super into the monster world culture thing that they're doing. Like, I I don't... I want a mummy movie. I want a, a movie about the mummy. I don't want, like... I don't want to know about all those other kinds of monsters. I just... It's not even explored enough to be interesting they just allude to that they do that i think the jekyll hyde thing is so fucking dumb (laughs) it's so fucking dumb and like it almost seems cool like it could have been cool if that wasn't his name almost nick as a negotiation tactic he doesn't (laughs) want to get killed um takes away the serum that keeps him being dr jekyll instead of mr hyde and everybody's like oh my god you don't want to do it. give it back give it back uh, like um russell crowe slams down a button red alert like red alert signals are going off everywhere and he's bellowing run as his veins turn black and you know nick isn't able to get out of the room in time and you know uh jekyll's assistant tells jenny who got locked out like you don't want to go back in there and because you know who's about to come out is hide a nice. cockney guy who's a little bit stronger than a regular guy <laughs> Literally just, just. Wait, 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 you can't <laughs> deal with this guy. Like, Look, he's mean. A secret organization devoted to destroying monsters and evil. And the second Russell Crowe, who's you know a sizable man, but like just gets a bit old. Like, oh, oh, I'm a chimney sweep, <laughs> and like I guess can punch a little harder. Like that's the your abilities do not <laughs> let you prevent this. His veins turn black, and he hates people. Like, that's what happens. That's the only difference. Hey, now. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. It's very silly. His eyes turned yellow. That's also and, true. And he's also, like, a super, like, mean guy. Like, that's, can you, like, like troubling to consider if you actually, like, if you think, of, like, that's, like, that would be kind of fucked up. That was the scariest I, part of the movie, was the idea <laughs> of a mean guy. I absolutely I I don't know I I would have I guess if they're gonna do Jekyll Hyde like I I would have preferred for them to be for there to be a little bit more of uh, a creature thing because yeah. I'm a I'm a fucking moron and I really actually kind of have a soft spot for the horrible Jekyll Hyde in the beginning of Van Helsing where he's just, like, this dog shit, like, C- early CGI, like, British Hulk, who's who's voiced by, like, um, like beloved transphobe Robbie Coltrane. Um, I, I just wanted a little bit more of, like, uh, the creature thing. But also, like, like, yeah, who... I don't want to say who cares about, like, the universal monsters, because, like, hello, me... Um, but the, the whole, the, the dark universe thing is almost like, it's almost the only reason to make another mummy movie. You know, they, they have this recognizable IP, um, but they've stripped so much of it away that they need to tack on two extra recognizable brands. One of which is other monsters. And the second of which is tom cruise um because they're they're trying to get people to come back to it 
But at the same time, like, like one of the things that I've been thinking about is that they... I, I think there were enough people involved in the production that it seems like they knew that they couldn't quite do, like, a globetrotting um, ancient Egypt tomb desecration adventure sure. movie quite the ways that, like, the original one did. And they, at the same time that they play it really safe, they they kind of have their cake and eat it, too, because, I don't know, maybe there's someone out there who watched the end of this movie and was dying to see Tom Cruise <laughs> and Jake Johnson go on other adventures through Egypt. And they were like, oh boy, I love these guys. I love them so much more than Aminette. I can't wait to see lots and lots of sequels about them. But I... This movie came out in 2017, and a thing that I think about a lot with, like, a lot of, like, modern IP blockbusters is that you have, rather than, like, come up with with new stuff or find, like, a brand new original take, it's actually just as likely that they're going to take an IP or a property that has some, like, some racism, like, intrinsic to some of its, like, bone marrow... And we'll just keep trying to, like, shave off things to keep it from pissing anyone off. Like, I don't know, maybe the answer is that you don't remake Dumbo. Like, I I think a lot about, um, like, the first Captain America movie comes out in 2011. And necessitated by, like, the origins of that character in the Marvel comics, you have to make this, like, modern, four-quadrant, colorful, PG-13 adventure movie about World War II. Um, and you probably don't want to make like a big, adorable, cheerful, advertised on diapers movie that has like an all white cast and like all of Captain America's buddies are are white folks who just love to be in the war. And so the Marvel Universe has created this world where um, in nineteen in the nineteen forties uh, every army was was integrated. And there were ostensibly no internment camps. And I'm not saying that the Captain America movie should be, like, depicting harsh realities of, like, the the U.S. empire and its violence on people. I'm saying this isn't a calculus that they would have to think about if they were making a new original movie. I don't know. I mean, I, I like all the, the, like, people who get turned into zombies by, by Aminat. Like, I, I think that stuff is all real... Uh, creepy and and fun, and I I love that the plot hinges around a curse. I think there could have been a movie there, um, but I don't know. Well, that's also part of the thing is that, like, think think about movies where like some supernatural or weird thing is happening, and there is a ticking clock. Um, isn't that usually visualized in some way? Like nothing is happening to Tom Cruise. Other than, like, we flash on to, you know, some of the things he's thinking about. But he's not, like, degenerating. He's he's not, like, having a visibly worse time being alive. Like, thinking about Marty McFly's hand disappearing at the school dance when he needs his parents to kiss. You're like, oh, shit. Like, this this needs to happen. Come on, come on, come on. Um, it, it's just, like, a, a, a bolt of energy. And, like, I'm trying to think of, of other instances. When, when James Bond gets poisoned poisoned in Casino Royale and he's stumbling towards his car and forgets like a wire to attach to his fucking um 
I can't remember the name of the heart make go machine, but like it's, it's, and he's, you know, sweaty and, and just like, so like seemingly coked out. And it's just like, it's visualized. It's, it's physicalized. It's made manifest in a way that feels tangible or radiates off the screen. And I can't take the idea of Tom Cruise being cursed seriously. If it seems to have absolutely no impact on his quality of life. It really seems like, again, it's another aspect of Nick Morton that we're told about but have no evidence of. Like, he's just cursed, and that sucks, they said. It, the curse just seems like she has a crush on you, so now you have to die. Like, it doesn't feel tangible at all. I am shitting on this a good amount. While I was watching the film, certainly had issues while I was watching it, but... I didn't, like, actively hate it because, like, I had no loyalty to the idea. Like, I hated the third mummy. This is, like, something that's not good, can't stand up. It doesn't have a foundation. But because Sofia Botella and I liked Russell Crowe's performance, like, because she was so committed and so central, like, I I, I think that there was stuff to, like, like while watching this film like because she was a lot of it um so so I was intrigued and I was creeped out um but it just wasn't enough it just wasn't enough hey everybody hope you're enjoying the episode and I also hope that when I said hope you're enjoying the episode you all took a second to uh, hold up your smartphone and scream yes I am at it like a child watching Dora the Explorer. In my experience, people tend to have one of two relationships with uh, young adult novels as they age. They either like have a photographic memory of all of the shit that they read when they were kids, or they like just don't fucking think about it at all for a decade until one night they just like bolt upright in bed in slumber because all of a sudden the scene in Hatchet where the pilot has a heart attack and, and crashes the plane like just fucking drills its way into your head suddenly for no reason and you're like fuck that could happen to me like fuck I could be the pilot in a single passenger plane who has a heart attack and dies and sends a young boy off on a on a journey of survival and resilience well if if you're either one of those groups of people or if you're anywhere in between uh there is a podcast for you wow that was natural every week best friends and comedians laura petro and meggie gates sit down for their very own book club to reread the series that shaped their school years in yeah we read it and um i i'm not just saying this because they're friends of the show i mean this they're like really fucking funny currently they've got uh episodes out about the uglies trilogy and about the click series but you don't need to have read these books in order to enjoy these episodes thoroughly i for instance have not read the click series and judging by the discussion held i i probably won't i'm not sure if it's for me um and i've not read the uglies trilogy either but i I don't know it sounds like kind of interesting i might end up checking it out so yeah, if you're, if you're looking for funny, insightful discussions on the books you read as a young adult or didn't read, um, there you could do no better than Yahweh read it. That is Yah, spelled with a Y-A, of course. So, you know, head to wherever podcasts are sold and uh, give them a listen. I think you'll have a really good time. I'm trying to think of any other, like, properties universes that have like tried to do this on the scale of the dark universe like tried to make a franchise and out of something and it and it didn't really work out 
like um not not a franchise but like an interconnected universe of all blockbusters like surely that's happened i just can't think of any i mean there's there's the dceu to like to to very mixed results but like that's that's an example where um i i don't know how much there was of like a brain trust sitting down and trying to like map this stuff out like as as much as i regret to be like praising marvel on here i think if there's like a reason that the avengers worked as like an an experiment was one the movie being quite good um but also like you have with the dceu you have like different filmmakers that are consistently like almost like trying from scratch to figure out how to make their movie like how okay so the the snyder movies weren't quite working i'm patty jenkins and i'm gonna do like a richard donner superman thing for for wonder woman or like james wan figuring out how to do aquaman like it in a lot of cases it does feel like they're kind of like starting from from scratch a little bit just because nothing was working and that's how you occasionally get things that are kind of a, a little interesting like birds of prey um which is a, a low calorie movie but very cool and um the director of that movie directed the fucking shit out of it and there's um, like awesome performances and action in that movie um with marvel you had each standalone movie registered enough to audiences as being its own thing and had a central character with a clearly delineated personality so the idea of what would happen if these three people were in a movie together actually has like a little bit of dramatic fiction you know what i'm forgetting you know what was the other example of a franchise that tried to do this and just like shat its guts out have you heard of these movies called the amazing spider-man movies right holy shit have have you uh you ever heard about those i i haven't this is the first time i'm hearing about them i certainly haven't spent the last nine years of my life obsessing over how fucked up the andrew garfield movies are as though it's my kennedy assassination Um, (laughs) couldn't be me just back into the lefting a shot where you can really see his crow's feet under a sign that says welcome to sophomore year of high school (laughs) yeah that's right that's right my my problem with the spider-man character up to that point was that he wasn't like a like a silicon valley sociopath who like forgives himself for like killing people in the stacy family over and over again um (laughs) with those movies um sony didn't just want to have like uh like a a spider-man series about that character with longevity they really 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 bet the farm on being able to make other movies that are just about spider-man villains which i mean Venom has has done quite well and people actually like that movie and you know Sony went on to try something totally different with Spider-Verse which is like kind of a masterpiece but um there's a moment in the Amazing Spider-Man 2 where uh a character is walking through the basement of Oscorp and and you see all the machines that are supposed to turn into um Spider-Man villains um which I guess it's supposed to tantalize you that someday there's going to be a Sinister Six movie, but it also immediately undercuts every single villain because none of them are going to have their own origin stories that lead them up to becoming that character. 
And as, as a result of that, you have just Doc Ock arms that are waiting for some fucking stooge to get plugged into them. And that's not compelling. Um, but everyone was... Rather than try to do the things that Marvel isn't doing, everyone tried to do their game, and I it's 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 frustrating. I don't, I don't think people like being sold this this timeshare thing. I don't think they like getting this PowerPoint presentation. But you know, Universal had been trying. We we talked about this in in Mummy One. They'd been trying for a while to get something up and running with. Their, their monster properties. Um, the Mummy movies had gone really well. Um, and I should say, there were, there were other people who were in line to try their hand at a Mummy movie before Stephen Summers' pitch to make it Indiana Jones got him the job. Clive Barker was writing a Mummy movie for a while with Mick Garris, which sounds like it would have been really interesting. Joe Dante wanted to do it for a while. And I, I it, it stands to reason that um, other people could have made like a legitimate mummy movie, but I, I do think after like the Frasier movies have taken hold in the way that they have, this movie came out and people were like, after years of dunking on this guy, people were legitimately like, where is Brendan Frazier? Steven Summers had, had gone on to do Van Helsing, which is, um, I, I've, I've talked about it already so fucking much on Mummy 1 and Mummy Returns, but like, it's, it's relevant to this because someone tried to do a big, stupid, like, superhero blockbuster out of the Universal Monsters. Um, and it, you know, it made them money and they sold a lot of Halloween costumes off of it. Um, in 2009, they try um, a Wolfman movie that um, went through a couple directors. There was an Andrew Kevin Walker script that was supposedly pretty good. Um, in its original draft, Benicio Del Toro was, like, really excited about it and really passionate to, like, play a werewolf with Rick Baker makeup. Um, and the, the movie that they end up putting out goes through a couple bazillion passes of test screenings and, and rewrites and reshoots and turning practical effects digital um, and comes out like a like a, a wet fart. I don't know. I haven't seen that movie. Maybe it's really good. Um, it definitely didn't register. They um, they try to do um, Dracula Untold. They try to do like a Batman Begins for Dracula, and then and then gaslit us about that ever having happened. <laughs> um, yeah, that w- that was um, sorry. Cause you are, no, please, I, uh, please, please. So that was supposed that was supposed to be the beginning of like the modern. Uh, the, the modern cinematic universe of the Universal Monsters. It was supposed to get kicked off with Dracula Untold, but it fared really poorly. So Universal basically was like, that didn't exist. That's not part of the dark, new Dark Universe thing. What? That this is going to be cool. Mm-hmm. So they already had a false start when they started with The Mummy. And so I, I think it's it's so funny how much money this movie cost. It, like two hundred million, I think, with probably a hundred million more in 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 marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this movie was like you know a lot was riding on it, and it wasn't testing particularly well. Um, so as one of the ways to hopefully get audiences excited about both the mummy and the universe that it was going to uh, kickstart is they, they released a cast photo. <laughs> and so 
at this point, several actors, I'm not confident that anybody who didn't appear in The Mummy was officially in. I believe that most of these were talks that were just about finalized, but not quite. Or in one case, like, it sounded good, but we're not sure. Um, So they release a cast photo. And it's got so so you got Sofia Batella and Tom Cruise and Russell Crowe. Um, ooh, great! Yeah, that's great. Oh my god! So what the fuck? So you've got Javier Bardem. He, I believe, was in talks to be was it Doctor Frankenstein or Frankenstein's monster? Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein's monster. Um, and you got Johnny Depp, who was in talks to be the Invisible Man. Not pictured is Angelina Jolie, who was in talks to be the bride of Frankenstein. And the fact that they would try to release this picture, please Google like Dark Universe cast photo if you haven't seen this before, because it is the most uninspiring, uninviting (laughs) thing. They're standing on like kind of like distressed hardwood <laughs> and the wall that they're all in front of looking normal as hell there's no it makeup literally or anything looks like a f- like a promo photo for succession <laughs> 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 like it's so like bureaucratic looking and there's like very clearly some photoshop going on like obviously they weren't all able to be in there the same day like russell crowe Looking a little like he was uh, elsewhere's. <laughs> Looking a little like he was somewhere desperately pitching Master Why and Commander 2. Why is Tom two. in a black tee when everyone else is in, like, really nice formal wear? He's a bad To show bad his muscles. Boy. This is so fucking funny. They look is, like they are miles apart. What is Russell Crowe's <laughs> right hand doing? They caught him in the middle of raising um, his hand uh, to the photographer uh, to say, stop, don't take a picture. <laughs> Honestly, yes. It is so, like, jarring to see Johnny Depp in this photo. It's it's so weird seeing him with not a thousand things on his neck. Th- that is, like, where this was going. And that move, releasing, putting together that photo and releasing it, was born of sheer panic because of how poorly this, this movie was testing. And, of course, it, it comes out and it just, it makes $400 million, which I think lost them $100 million. Because wow. of how fucking much they had sunk into the mummy. And it's just, like, just astonishing how much the mummy is both a mixture of, like, utter hubris and sheer desperate panic. There's, there's interesting stuff here. Because I think before they were going to do The Mummy, there there was a lot of talk of Alex Kurtzman doing another Van Helsing movie. I think I think the stink of how how not good the original was kind of scared them away from that title. But I do think like if if you can find a place for Tom Cruise in this world and he's not playing someone who is just like openly evil, which I think would have been a way to go. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, having him play like a legendary monster hunter would at least th- that's at least a better hook to get you into like a yes. universe of of monsters than not that he becomes Nick an Morton. egyptian god what yeah like like that's a Unreal. great idea pj 
like like Van Helsing as like the Nick Fury of these movies. Like and you know Tom Cruise steps in and you're like holy shit and it's like okay that he's 60 years old because he's been doing this for so long and he's not just like I'm a young and peppy man. I'm a scoundrel. I'm a scoundrel. He's not I'm 60 a years scoundrel. old. He's not even a scoundrel. He is like pretty upstanding by most people's standards. He stole one map and likes treasure. That's not that bad. I don't think you can be a scoundrel and be over 50 years old. I'm sorry. I don't know if that's that's ageist of me, but I think being over 50 precludes you it's from being It's a different eight. echelon of bad. It's just like you are just misplaced. Like <laughs> Yeah, like you can't be a ne'er-do-well after 30. You can't be a rascal after 40. You can't be a scoundrel after 50. I like it. I think is how that I'll works. I'll try anyway. Yeah. <laughs> what else do I have to look forward to? No, I mean, what am I supposed to do? Air do well? <laughs> Great brand of shoes that. Um, there was there was another they had a couple things that were in the pipeline that almost sounded interesting. Like um, you know who was going to direct Bride of Frankenstein was Bill Condon, um, who is a very fucking interesting choice for that. Bill Condon has been like a trash man for the last like decade or so doing like, I I don't know. He did like the fifth estate, the, uh, the Julian Assange movie. He did the last two Twilight movies. My favorite Bill Condon movie though is one of Brendan's best performances, which is a movie called Gods and Monsters. And it's a... It's a movie about the final years of James Whale's life. James Whale was the director of Bride of Frankenstein. He was the person who made that movie such a masterpiece. He was one of the first openly gay people in in Hollywood. And he had a very bitter, sad end. And Bill Condon, a, a gay director, had a lot of like... You, you would think would have some like interesting things to bring to it. But again, all of this stuff is being hampered by the 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 brand building i mean the thing we haven't talked about in in all of this is that um they assembled a writer's room of some like minimum 12 people of a bunch of screenwriters varying from like annoying hacks to kind of reputable interesting writers like jenny lumet or um i think his name is eric uh heiserer um who went on to write um arrival and what? Whoa. all of these people were in a room together trying to figure out how they were going to lay out their monster movies. And and he, Heiserer has, has gone on in like an interview or two, or he did a podcast a little while ago to talk about what went so wrong with the Dark Universe movies. And the way he characterizes the writer's room was that nobody could fucking agree on anything, particularly the thing they couldn't agree on was whether or not the monsters should be heroes or villains and having to like make that broad of a decision for all of these movies from the very yeah. beginning is I, I i would think completely disastrous i mean weirdly this movie has had me thinking a lot about like the annabelle series and i looking back on those episodes i really worry that i was like unfair to them and that i was like poo-pooing that interconnected franchise building thing um because those movies are at least like 
standalone movies. They are self-contained. They have a beginning, middle, and end about those characters. And I, I, I think sequels can have, they can be interesting art. And I think a sequel can surprise you for, for damn sure. We've seen examples of that. Um, but I also think that movies have an obligation to be movies. And to do that, they have to be self-contained and they have to end. It has to be a complete meal. They're not TV. Um, I think the the most acceptable Marvel movies do that pretty well. Um, and I think, you know, good, good horror can do that. And so this movie cost them all this money, embarrassed them publicly. They had gone to all this trouble. They had like merchandised a bunch of stuff with the Dark Universe logo on it. They had... I read somewhere that they brought in Danny Elfman to write the logo music for the Dark Universe intro, which uh, was a great investment that they they got a whole lot out of. Um, but this was such a disaster for them that the entire Dark Universe project was scrapped after this one movie. I, I don't know when the announcement was made, but it was within a couple months that they announced that they were reversing course now the place that they did go with it that is really interesting to me is that they handed the properties over to Bloomhouse, the the little horror studio that makes these like 30 million dollar movies um they did i believe they did the purge movies i know for a fact they did um get out and us and and they have been doing really really cool solid work and the one that they, they handed over to oh, them was the Invisible Man movie, which I is... I liked it. It's excellent. I, it is I really love good. It's, it's so It crisp. could have been so stupid. There, there are so many ways for, for that thing to go terribly, terribly wrong. But, it, you know, instead you have this, like, you have this complete movie. And also, go figure... Somewhere along the way, someone had the idea of what if these monster movies were horror movies? <laughs> like, yeah. like, what if they were scary? Um, and I don't... I mean, I, I see the ways that this movie is is trying to do that. And I, I guess, like, scary Marvel is something that you could do something with. But um, it, it really is just, like, a, a testament to, like... Um, just how fucking stupid rich people are. <laughs> Alex Kurtzman, we, we've barely touched on him, but like... Oh, right, yeah. This was his mm. first... Not his first solo outing, I guess, but he had spent years as part of like a pretty, you know, successful screenwriting duo, him and Roberto Orsi. Um, they had come up writing on... Um, Xena and Hercules, but where they start to get traction is J.J. Abrams discovered them writing for Alias. So they go on to do um, Mission Impossible 3, which is where Tom Cruise gets acquainted with them. They did um, the first two Michael Bay Transformers movies, and they did the first two J.J. Star Trek movies. Um, they also Their last movie together is The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And... Uh, Critics and audiences had gotten pretty sick of these guys and their their annoying protagonists who who also have this strain of like annoying alpha and they had gotten sick of like 
MacGuffins that involve like magic blood and like weird divine right shit. Um, but they had separated to go off and do their own stuff. And this was, um, this was Alex Kurtzman's second time directing a movie. And he was placed at the helm of this gigantic, uber expensive machine, which is stressful enough on its own. Combine that with the fact that the studio is constantly trying to figure out like, what is the plan? What is the identity of this thing? You can kind of understand why Tom Cruise would be strong arming the production so hard to make sure that they fucking finished it in time. I mean, is it is it overpowering that like Tom Cruise is the kind of guy who comes onto your set and tells you that's the wrong lens, even if he's right? Um, this movie was being edited by Paul and Gina Hirsch. Paul Hirsch, who's like one of the greatest film editors who ever lived. He was like, he was Brian De Palma's guy, and and he goes on to do oh, wow um, this uh this this little movie that came out in the seventies called Star Wars. He likes <laughs> yeah he. He saved that movie by the the quickness of his his editing. Him and Marshall Lucas, I guess. Um, and then at the very end, like Cruz brings on his own editor, this guy Andrew Monshine. Um, you you can you can understand why this guy was trying to like keep the ship on track, but I I, I don't know that any one person on this had like the the winning idea that could have made this thing great if we had just followed their vision this this screenplay is credited to three people and then three completely separate people have story by credits um and i i guess it takes that many screenwriters to write like scenes of human dialogue and humor that are just this dead on arrival um which is (laughs) really where this thing falls apart for me all of the all of the jenny and nick stuff is just I, I I can't handle it. The that's a perfect word for it. Um, the one I I can close this out with a little bit of a score corner. Um, the one thing in this movie that I would argue is like completely front to back successful is um, Brian Tyler's score is um, you know it gets the job done. He's not he's not one of my faves, but he does really 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 good work and he does a lot of it um and he really he's he's part of this generation of composers that have come up that are themselves like fans of movie score like him michael giacchino bear mccreary these are people who like grew up listening to john williams and jerry goldsmith and and you know horner and elfman as they come onto the scene um and in a lot of ways like brian tyler was like the successor to to goldsmith um there were there were all of these stories where like he i forget which star trek series it is that he comes on to do the music for but he's proactively trying to like recreate a lot of goldsmith stuff in his music he takes the reins on the universal logo one of the last movies that jerry goldsmith was ever working on was um timeline for richard donner um and uh, Goldsmith's score wasn't working out, and I guess he didn't have time to complete it, so Brian Tyler, like, came on to rescore that movie and sought out Jerry Goldsmith to be able to, like, shake hands with him and be like, hey, no hard feelings, right? And the late Goldsmith was like, oh, yeah, no, dude, this is, this is the business. We're all in this together. Finish the movie. This is how this thing goes. Because he had been in that position a couple times before. Um, 
Uh, let's see. Brian Tyler, I think, also goes on to, like, take the reins of the, the Rambo scores and is constantly, like, referencing those themes. And uh, there's only one little moment in this movie where he references the Goldsmith Mummy theme, which is when you see the Book of the Dead for a second, which... Is is this in a continuity with those? I'm don't don't worry don't worry about it. Don't worry. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna think about it. Um, I do want to say very quickly that I don't like that they use the Book of the Living to just hit this dude over the head so that she can still fail at getting into the room. Like it was <laughs> just such a lazy way to insert that reference when it could have been way more important and honorable but instead it was just like here i'll just use this old book (laughs) does that feel sacrilegious to you a little bit as like a a mummy stand (laughs) Uh uh-huh i was like this should at least be important instead it's just what she uses to still fail (laughs) (laughs) it slowed down the failure it, it impeded it true. for a second. That's true. I uh fucking I I don't I don't have a, a ton to say about his his score in this thing other than it's it's very good, it's very robust, it's interesting, it's got a lot of a lot of very specific like melodic themes that like appear and come back and are really fun. He's really good at the the concept of this thing that no one else seemed to be able to figure out of like horror action blockbuster is something that he is is quite comfortable doing um but i think one of the the reasons i was excited to talk about brian tyler is that i don't see a lot of people talking about like what brian tyler is like as like a like a dude could could y'all do dixon you and i have talked about this and about his youtube channel before becky are you in a position where you could google image search brian tyler real quick because I think this guy is like, he's he's a great musician and orchestral conductor. He does a lot of his own drumming on tracks and he's an extremely talented guy. But above all, I think he's really broken ground for hot people to be able to score movies. Oh, yeah. What the <laughs> heck? Wait, what the heck? Does he not feel like a weird, like, like horny, like Las Vegas magician? <laughs> yeah. He'd be... He'd be somebody that Bill brings uh, Sookie to in one episode of the first two seasons of True Blood, and, you're, and you'd be like, oh, that character's coming back, and they never do. <laughs> he he seems like he's going to steal Adam Sandler's girlfriend. He seems like he's going <laughs> to kick my ass and take my lunch money. He doesn't seem like someone who's like as much of like an enthusiastic, like exuberant nerd as, as I know he is, but um, if... if there's a little bit of like like Robert Rodriguez like macho cool guy overpowering energy if you go to his YouTube channel and watch a music video of him playing every instrument and conducting the orchestra with his unbelievable like yoked arms. Um, but just breaking I, cellos left and right. <laughs> Oops. I guess I'm too strong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Brian Tyler could fucking he could fucking get it.
the 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 very 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 last thing that I have to say here, and I want I want to invite y'all into this so that I'm not just monologuing, but we're we're closing out a franchise here. Um, I mean, I I I mean we plan on coming back for Scorpion King sometime in the future, right? That is a yeah hope. yeah yeah yeah. Mm. Um, but we're we're closing a book of sorts and trying to figure out like what story can can be told here and you know it's it's so wild to me that they they pinned their hope on like revitalizing this thing by like casting the lead in the form of this guy who is eight years older than brendan fraser um but i i think this this franchise tells this this story of of him and audience's relationship with him were like this movie is this like darkly funny footnote in the history of like corporate media um, that leaves people missing this guy. And it leaves me thinking like, you know, maybe, maybe this guy indoors, maybe there's something about him. Maybe we can't get away from him for some quality that he has and, and some relationship that we have with him. I don't know. What do you, what do y'all think? For, for me, if, if this franchise uh, tells any story, it is, like, similarly Brendan Fraser-focused, but I think it just, like, I don't know, it conveys, uh, like, what star power means or doesn't mean, mm. and uh, what studios don't seem to understand about what star power means or doesn't mean, and how that changes over time, because, you know, I feel like the branding of The Mummy originally... Like, you know, it's probably very, like, this is a known property focused, but also, like, you know, you got Brendan quipping in there, and that's, like, probably the main draw. Mm -hmm. Like, here's this young and upcoming action hero in this property, isn't this cool? And then the second one, fully built off the back of him and Rachel Weisz. And they try to do that again for Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, and it doesn't work. Like, Brendan Fraser has changed... Uh, the public's relationship with him has changed as well. And the public's relationship with the idea of movie stardom is on is, is on the precipice of changing completely. And by the time 2017 rolls around, you know, it can easily be made the argument that Tom Cruise is the biggest movie star in the world. And they, like, clearly pinned so much of their hopes mm-hmm. on this being a Tom Cruise joint. And that's just not how it works anymore. Like that's just not. And, and I think hopefully uh, the success of the invisible man will wake them up to like what a movie needs to be now in order to get asses and seats um, and maintain an identity and be good at the same time. I wouldn't, expect that from universal studios creator of the dark universe but i don't know i i'm i'm left with a kind of bitter taste in my mouth but i'm looking forward to what's going to happen next i want a creature of the black lagoon movie i was fucked with that guy as a kid i liked my life before i saw these last two films (laughs) (laughs) i loved it i was so naive happy as a clam I, yeah, I, I don't, I, you both said really smart, um, good, perfect observations about the franchise as a whole. I think that the campy, 
incredible energy of the first two films is hard to bring into a 2020 culture or you know it's it's hard to bring into this time period so I understand the difficulties there I think that they they missed the mark though even in 2008 with um the third film and it's because they didn't know what they obviously didn't understand what was so incredible about the series and it certainly wasn't the fictional lore which is fun and definitely I loved learning about fake Egyptian culture <laughs> but um <laughs> that's not what it was that's not what was magnetic about this film and it's a shame that you know someone really talented and incredible like is, I, I f- I'm worried that Brendan Fraser is worse off for everything that's happened. Um, but I love him, and overall, you know, this one sucked. <laughs> so I have been, I think, the, the, the wrench in the gears a little bit with this series. Um, and I think my, my rankings are going to reflect that a bit, uh, just in, like, one way. Um, so I'm going to put... This one, I almost said this first because um, the Adderall starting to wear off. Um, I'm going to put The Mummy 99 first, obviously. Um, and then I'm going to put Tomb of the Dragon Emperor second. And I'm, I'm going to put this in fourth and returns in third by a hair. But it's, be- it's because returns just has a bit more of a soul i honestly think i had a worse time watching returns but like there's stuff like i can see that human beings made this film made made mummy returns even if they made a bunch of decisions i i disagree with whereas um uh you know the the computer that eventually destroys the world in uh, i have no mouth and i must scream <laughs> uh i think was the creator of the mummy 2017 so yeah, um, one one three two, uh, two three four four. Huh? I definitely put Return second because it's my personal favorite, not necessarily because it's the best of them. I would put the Mummy second. Um, and what I'm really struggling with is my personal hatred and pure vitriol that I have to spew about the third film, um, because. Rachel Weiss isn't in it and because I felt like that felt personally I felt like the third film felt more like a fake movie because there was just nothing like there was just like just cavernous like just, mm-hmm. uh, just miles of fake chemistry and dialogue that also is in this film as well but I would agree with you Dixon that this film like it just oh like not there's nothing in it <laughs> um so I I, I, I guess I have to go with just what, not necessarily was it what is best, but what I enjoyed. I would say, whew, I would put this third and then the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor fourth. Ooh, damn. I just can't, you can't have Brendan and recap. You can't do it. It's a cardinal sin. Where would I put the movie Ted with Mark Wahlberg and Seth MacFarlane in between the mummy movies. (laughs) Um, Is Ted one better than mummy returns? Hard for me to say. Probably (laughs) not. Um, No, I think um, 
Mummy 1 is first. Mummy Returns is second. Because for, for everything that I think is a little, like... A, a little, like, bloated and, and, like, hard for me to, like, grab onto as the second one is, these movies have really made me appreciate that those those first two are coming from a very clear and and fairly singular voice. Like, Stephen Summers has, like, a fingerprint and, like, a thing that he does that is not easily replicated. Um, I... Man, am, am I really the fuck about to put this movie third? I think I am. I think, you know, I... This movie didn't bum me out as hard as as the third one did. Um, just because the, the third one, uh, among plenty of other things that are wrong with it, it somehow feels like it's it's doing a, a disservice to, to this guy. So I think it would be one, two, four, three for me. Um, Sophia Butella and a, a decent soundtrack push it over um, a, a movie that um, gave me depression. I didn't have mental illness before I saw that one. Now I do. And um, I, I, I'm not like trying to assert my opinion is the correct one here. I, I just like marvel at how much we got different things out of this. Series. Me too. It's I very was, interesting. Like, fully depressed by the second one and like mildly entertained by the third one and this just this one just felt like like not not even like full of life enough to be a prank on me Mm. like i i don't know just like something about like the very easily appreciable soullessness of this one just like I, I mean, I've got my gripes with three. I would never argue that it's a good movie, but at the end of the day, like you're at least watching that movie. And I have you're... a I have a theory about that because I totally hear what you're saying. I wonder if it's because there is Brendan in three, so you're reminded of the soullessness and just everything that doesn't work about it around it. Whereas in this, almost all of it is soulless, so it's almost feels like a tone. Like when I was watching <laughs> it, I was just like, "Yeah, this is really like, f- like medicinal and like just cold." Like it didn't. It felt consistent at least in that voice and almost felt like a stylized choice that is a really interesting observation only when i zoom out am i like yeah there was no anything it's it's so consistent in it's like joylessness and half measures that like you, you start to not be offended by that aspect i wasn't offended while i was watching it i was horrified screaming at the television when I watched three. So when I, so, so when I watched four, I was, I expected nothing out of it and I got nothing out of it. So I just left like, kind of like, "Eh, whatever, you know, this fucking series, this fucking studio. I I feel like we're going to, I feel like we're going to see that big, pretty globe in front of a whole bunch of stuff. You know, I mean the, I, I forget when it was that like the, the president of universal pictures, like came out in a press conference and just said in plain language, like Homer Simpson's lawyer, like, hey, look, okay, we make a lot of shitty movies, okay? (laughs) You know, they also take so many interesting risks that I I keep being, like, like interested in them. Like, this is is the studio that's gonna 
lose a bunch of money on Scott Pilgrim versus the world or like, uh, like Hellboy two or, or, you know, the studio that's going to do the Bloomhouse movies and is going to do like get out and us. And I, if, if they want to keep trying making monster movies for as long as I'm alive, I'll, I'll keep showing up cause I love monsters. But, uh, the other thing I love a whole lot is, uh, affable, vulnerable, ego-free, kind people and actors, um, especially when the things that are most interesting about them are the ways that they are not conventional action heroes like Tom Cruise. And who, who knows if he's worse off for it, or who knows if there's a lot of interesting, lovely stuff from this guy yet to come that we'll get to see someday. I'm hoping it's that one. Um, but, you know, just when we thought he was dead, death is only the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, oh that My name's Edward Hyde. What? My Ed- name's Edward Hyde. <laughs> <laughs> that actually reminds me is do you... Okay, this is sort of like my big takeaway from the film. Do you guys think that the past can remain buried forever or no uh that's a tough one i know Mm. i'm just like i don't know you know like oh i don't know i would say yes (laughs) love it i think i think if you you know with a little gumption a little stick-to-itiveness Keep I think you can here. bury the past forever. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Let's 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 get going. What a natural. I need to fucking figure something out here. Every let's time I try to going. say. Yeah, let's get going. <laughs> Fuck me. What we should talk about is our next franchise. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, PJ, do you want to do the honors? I would absolutely love to. Our next, uh, our next big budget uh, blockbuster um, um, franchise IP uh, based on a, a 60s comic book about a, a race scientist. No. You've probably We're... got action figures of the characters in your home. Funko, <laughs> Pops. Funko Pops. We're doing motherfucking Bridget Jones. Yay! A nice, clean three movies with uh, human behavior. Remember that? About to learn. <laughs> First time over here. You know, <laughs> thanks for bringing me back from the dead and all... Dead Horse is Becky Granger, Dixon Cashwell, and PJ Audenzia. We'd like to thank Max Huffman for our podcast art. That's uh, Max Huffman with two Fs. Uh, Go to maxhuffman.com and order his book, Cover Not Final. Uh, To follow us on social media, check us out at at Dead Horse Podcast on Instagram and at Dead Horse The Pod on Twitter. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please rate us five stars and leave us a nice review. It, it helps us out a lot. Um, it's it's the written equivalent of a little, just a little, a little kiss on the cheek. It's a good thing I'm working in audio. Um, this miniseries' theme song comes courtesy of Tyler Hobbs, a.k.a. Buckhead Shaman. Follow him at Buckhead Shaman on Instagram. Uh, the music... Otherwise, the little, the little, the little music and during the ad read uh, was mine. It's bad. It's like a cover of the like God knows Dom beat from um, 
the fuck is the name of it? Dead Dogs 2. Yeah. Um, I got... I, I have to... I've got to stop, put, put a stop to this.